right, everybody, welcome back to the Bible Study Podcast. I'm Travis Pauley, and here we have one goal, learn to love like Jesus. I hope you enjoy this episode. doing good how are you i'm doing great glad to be back yeah and last time we talked was prior to your trip to africa that's right i just got back from kenya. almost two weeks in kenya yeah that's awesome yeah. so we have a question to discuss today yes really good one uh, i can go ahead and read that yeah sounds great it says i'm a new christian who recently gave her life to christ and i want to know what i should do next what should I do next to honor Jesus and to let others know about my decision to follow Christ? Thank you. Great question. Great question. Yeah, I yeah. think that's. I think that there's probably a lot of people that this will apply to, and uh, I think it'll be helpful. I think it'll be a helpful discussion for new Christians, but I think it'll be helpful for a discussion for any Christians to just sort of examine what are what are the, what's the next step. Yeah, I think I know something you and I have talked about a lot is, uh, you know, I got baptized pretty young and it's, it's definitely something I think about sometimes that it was, it was well into my Christian life that I really started to truly consider, uh, this kind of a question, like what, yeah. what, what is the next step? What is my responsibility now that I'm buried and raised with Christ? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think this will be a great question for me too. Well, that, the, that personal experience piece of it is something I didn't even think about talking about, but, but that's a great point. When I was baptized, I was baptized very young as well. I was nine. And um, after I was baptized, a guy from church, and I was I was attending um, a congregation in um, my family was members at uh, a church in Lakewood, Colorado, um, or thereabouts in uh, the Denver area. And one of the members there, and I don't think he was on staff. I don't know who he was, but uh, he was you know, middle aged guy, and he. He would take me out to ice cream or get a Coke uh, once a week, and we would talk about the Bible, and we would talk about Jesus. And looking back at it, it, it was pretty remarkable. Um, in fact, the guy that studied with me, again, I wish I knew. What, what an amazing thing that would be to find that guy and to reconnect with him. Mm. But um, he would read to me from Scripture, and he would read out of a Greek New Testament and translate it in his head as he as he read to me in English. So an amazing guy and, uh, and that he would just spend time with this young kid that, uh, that had put on Jesus in baptism. And, uh, I, I think that that in and of itself is, is an important thing. And this is what I would say to our listener who emailed in, I would say, find someone like that. Yeah. It may be that someone volunteers to be that for you. It may be the person that that taught you the gospel. It may be it may be a parent. It may be a sibling. It may be a friend. Uh, but even if somebody doesn't volunteer to be a mentor for you, find somebody like that. Yeah. Um, I, I think that all too often we we younger people in general. This isn't just for new Christians, but in general, we wait for older people to say, "Hey." I would like to take you under my wing and mentor you. And that doesn't really happen in our culture. Right. Um, I think what's a whole lot more likely is for a younger person to go to an older person and say, hey, you seem to be doing this life really well. You seem to be following Jesus really well. I would like to spend time with you. Can I come eat at your house? Can I uh, be mentored by you? And it may be that the person will say, no, I can't do that, or yeah. I'm not qualified to do that. But chances are that's not going to happen. Chances are yeah. if if somebody is mature enough that you would look up to them, if you were to ask them, can you mentor me? Can you help me and teach me and encourage me? Um, maybe even not a formal Bible study, just let me pick your brain about what it's like to follow Jesus. I think that's one of the best things that a person could do. Yeah, you know, and I think maybe one of the reasons that it's it doesn't always work the you know the older person finding the new Christian, the younger person to kind of mentor probably is, and I've certainly witnessed this. Like, they might not even think of themselves, even if they are very right. far along in their faith, they yeah. don't think of themselves as a mentor, as a teacher, as a 
And so, yeah, you kind of have to put yeah. them on the spot and, well, and, and give because, them an opportunity to, to exercise their faith in that way. Yeah, absolutely. And and if they are mature followers of Jesus, then they're probably super humble, and they would never, as you said, presume, presume to put yeah. themselves in that in that sort of light or or presume to take someone under their wing. Right. Typically, the people that are volunteering to do that, <laughs> in my experience, are not necessarily the ones that you want mentoring you. You want the, the humble servants. I mean... Yeah. Seriously, if anybody's out there listening and they think, I want to take my spirituality, my discipleship to the next level, find the person who volunteers quietly behind the scenes mm. and who is serving faithfully and has been for years. And at every church I've ever been a part of, no matter how big or small, there is someone like that yeah. that is consistently volunteering that very few people know about. You may have to ask around to say, hey, who prepares communion or who cleans the bathroom or who does this job that nobody else wants to do, find that person, follow them around, ask them questions about their faith, ask them questions about following Jesus. That's the kind of person that that we should be really learning from. We we tend to think about, well, who's teaching the Bible classes or who's, you know, leading communion focus or who's preaching or who's leading singing. Find the quiet, humble servants mm-hmm. and and follow them around and ask them questions and take them to lunch, take them to dinner and and just find out about what makes them tick? What? How did they come to Jesus? Uh, what have been the things, the moments in their life that have helped uh, take their life and spirituality to the next level? What have been their mistakes? What mistakes have they made? Yeah. And and how? What lessons have they learned from those mistakes? Man, that's huge too. Is to is to have somebody in your life that will be open about mistakes. Yes. Even just so you can know, like, oh, and they got, they're still here. You yeah. Know, they're still they're still following Christ. They're yes. still. They were they were able to overcome that thing. They, yeah, uh, that's just huge. And, yeah, and I know I was lucky to have people in my home congregation growing up that uh, were very willing and eager to to pour into young people and, yeah. and here as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they're 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 there almost always, always and and yeah. if we'll we'll look for them and and put ourselves in their path or put them in our path. Uh, it's amazing what we can learn from one another. And so I, I think that's the biggest thing. That wasn't even what I was planning on talking about in response to this question, but I'm glad I'm glad you started that off by talking about your own experience. Uh, what I would really say, you know, from a more formal standpoint, is uh, spiritual disciplines. And, that, and that's really kind of where I want to land on this. But I think that, that that what we just were talking about, about mentorship and being being mentored by older Christians. I think that's part of spiritual discipline. Uh, but Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8, he says, "...have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come." Hmm. That's something I've been thinking a lot about lately, uh, spiritual disciplines, uh, Somebody might prefer the term spiritual practices, uh, but training ourselves, disciplining ourselves for godliness is something that is is incredibly important. Maybe, maybe more taken for granted in our culture and more overlooked in our culture than it was in times past. Uh, in times past, even, even non-believing people, even non-Christians that believed in other things and did other things— they still believed that people needed to be self-disciplined, that they needed to discipline themselves towards a goal. Mm -hmm. And there are areas of our life that are like that, areas where even secular people would say, you need to discipline yourself towards a goal. I I think particularly of sports and athletics, uh, but but also uh, things like you know, minimalism became a big thing for a while. So that there are different disciplines, quote unquote, uh, that people will adopt that are that are not Christians. But yeah. but our world is very undisciplined as a as a general rule. Well, and I, I, just a cursory look at Instagram or Facebook or TikTok or whatever. Like, if you're gonna if you search discipline, a lot of times what you're gonna find is people. It's discipline to get ahead. It's discipline mm-hmm. to you yes. know to get rich. It's discipline yeah. to get fit and yeah. which, you know, maybe, maybe in isolation, those things aren't terrible in and of themselves, sure. but it's not discipline spiritually. Yes. It's not. Yes. And I think like you said, 
the idea behind discipline is towards a goal, yeah. I think, inherently. Yes. But when you're following Christ, well, then what is the goal to discipline? What I, I think that sometimes it's easy to let that stay undefined, mm-hmm. uh, especially when you're starting out yeah. as a yeah. Christian. Right. And, and Paul here says that the goal is godliness. The yeah. goal is to be, and th- that word godliness, it, it means something like pious, mm-hmm. uh, religious, devoted, devoted to God. Um, and so, so in order to live a godly life, a pious life, a, a devoted life to God, then we have to discipline ourselves towards that, which means we have to, we have to, we have to uh, mortify, put to death the the things of the flesh. We have to, we have to restrain ourselves. We have to keep ourselves from doing what is bad and force ourselves to do what is good. Discipline has two sides. There's there's the the negative stopping yourself from doing the bad things and then also the positive of forcing yourself sometimes when you don't feel like it or you don't want to forcing yourself to do the good things that you should do that you know you should do because all of these things are towards something better that we have we have these desires in us that are contrary to one another. Paul puts it that way in Galatians 5 when he's talking about the flesh and the spirit, that the spirit has certain desires for us mm-hmm. and the flesh has certain desires. And we have to put to death or uh, restrain ourselves from indulging the flesh. And again, we live in a culture that is very self-indulgent, that is self-indulgent in nearly every way, that says your desires are good. Whatever your desires are, indulge them. Like, go live live your best life. You do you. Go indulge whatever appetites you have. Whereas people in the ancient world, not just Christians, but all people recognize that, no, all your desires are not good. You have to discipline yourself to be virtuous. But in this case, it's not just a vague virtue or even a philosophical virtue. It is the virtue of being godly, of being like Jesus, mm-hmm. and the the virtue of discipleship. So we have to discipline ourselves towards discipleship, to following Jesus. And if you were to Google or, or look up online uh, different... Uh, spiritual disciplines, you'd find different lists. Most of them would have things like uh, scripture reading, prayer, fasting. Those three are primarily the ones that you'd find, scripture reading, prayer, and fasting. And we'll talk about those, but I think there's others as well. I, I like John Mark Comer. There's a great book, and I might recommend this to a new Christian, but it's called Live No Lies. And it's about mm-hmm. this this war that we're, we're dealing with. The, the three enemies of the soul are the devil— the flesh and the world. And and scripture kind of talks about all three of those things, the the devil and the flesh and the world. And John Mark Comer in this book sort of walks through how do we resist the lies of Satan and how do we uh, how do we wrestle against the forces of darkness, Ephesians chapter six. How do we engage in spiritual warfare? When we say spiritual warfare, that sounds very mystical or something, um, but it really is about prayer, scripture reading, fasting, these kinds of things, um, and and practicing these spiritual disciplines. And and in the book, Comer says that that a spiritual discipline is really anything that you see Jesus practicing in his life. So if we kind of just read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and just kind of look and say, what kind of things did Jesus do? Jesus was devoted to scripture. He knew the scriptures. He yeah. lived the scriptures. He loved the scriptures. He quoted the scriptures. And so that's really important. If we're going to be followers of Jesus, then we have to be people of the book. We have to know the scriptures. That's why we do a Bible study podcast, because knowing scripture is so important, not to impress anyone, not to not even to teach anyone, but in order to engage in spiritual warfare. Jesus did battle with Satan, not with a sword, not with a spear, not with a bomb, not with a gun. Jesus did warfare with Satan by quoting scripture, by by countering Satan's lies with truth, with the truth of scripture. And and we have to do the same. In fact, uh, John Mark Comer talks about uh, this fourth century desert monk uh, that wrote a book called Talking Back. That's the English translation of the title. The subtitle is A Monastic Handbook 
for combating demons. I, I really love that. Fantastic. I know, right? <laughs> and so I've been encouraging people in my Wednesday night class to create a handbook for combating demons. So I've got, I'll hold it up for the camera, but I've got my Wes's handbook for combating demons. And all it is, is things that, that you struggle with, ideas, lies that you're tempted to believe. Um, and, and, and then a quotation of scripture that counters that lie. So this is the way Evagrius is, um, handbook was written and so i've written mine in the similar style but it, it just each heading or each entry is against the thought that whatever so i have a heading in mine against the thought that my circumstance determines my joy because i'm always struggling with that that i'm i'm mad i'm unhappy i'm discouraged because of whatever it is i'm dealing with right so against the thought that my circumstance determines my joy and then my scripture for that is Psalm 4 and verse 7, which says, you have put more joy in my heart, talking to God, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. Mm. So even on my worst day, God has put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. So my circumstances do not determine my joy. I have more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. Whether I have grain and wine or not, I have more joy in my heart because of God than they have when their grain and wine abound. So there's, I won't get real personal with all of my, my headings, but, but I just go through some of the things that I'm struggling with and ideas that I'm tempted to believe and then write against this thought, against this thought or against this demon, against this lie. Here is the truth. Here is the scripture. And so a scripture, but it, it's one thing to write it down and it's another thing to memorize it and for it to be on our heart where we can quote it over and over and over again against the lie that keeps popping up. Maybe it's a lie that I'm not good enough or I'm not really forgiven or God doesn't love me or I'm worthless. And then we, we quote whatever it is, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Just remembering who I am and what I have in Christ, what the truth is to combat the lies. And in order to, to quote that truth, we have to know that truth. Yeah, you know, uh, you, that makes me think of, of when we read this question, one of the, the pieces of advice that I got that, that I thought of uh, that continues to be of great help to me is, you know, several years ago, it was a moment of confusion and feeling lost and directionless and, yeah. you know, this thing didn't work out and that. And I was going, I was talking to my dad about it, and I sort of droned on for a while about all the problems and struggles. And he just, you know, he sort of looked at me, he was like, you said I a lot. Mm. <laughs> and it eventually, it wasn't even something in that conversation, but thinking about like, yeah, I was thinking about me a lot. I was saying I a lot. There was a lot of selfishness wrapped up in that. And then eventually meditating on, well, what is the antidote to that? How do you get out of that? loop of self-absorption yeah. um, eventually I've settled on gratitude mm. and that's been it continues to be probably the most powerful tool mm. against selfishness against mm -hmm. hopelessness mm -hmm. against um, frustration against um, against ego mm -hmm. um, it, it's a, it, it all really comes back to gratitude and I think when I heard people talk about gratitude early on in life, I, you know, I often thought it was like you're forcing yourself to be thankful mm -hmm, for something, mm -hmm. you know, well, what are the, th I guess I'm thankful for that mm -hmm. kind of thing. Right. And it was like more and more I, I found that if I really thought about something, if I really considered my circumstances and I looked beyond myself, mm -hmm. so already getting beyond selfishness and looked mm -hmm. at other people's circumstances, mm -hmm. um, I could start to see, that I have blessings that mm -hmm. I didn't earn, mm -hmm. that I didn't necessarily work for, mm -hmm. um, and that I certainly don't deserve mm -hmm. at all times. Mm -hmm. There's never been a time uh, since I've started to really take that idea of gratitude seriously where I haven't been able to stop and say, oh, it could be a whole lot worse. Yeah. And, and I actually have an abundance. Mm -hmm. um, and at the, very, at the very least, and it's not the least, but no matter what's happening mm -hmm. uh, so far, I've been able to go back to, I have Jesus. Mm -hmm. I have a hope that extends beyond anything that's going to happen in this mm -hmm. life. Right. And that, again, to me, is 
the most powerful antidote I've found mm-hmm. to uh, in in combating demons and mm-hmm. in, in combating the desires of the flesh mm-hmm. and uh, and again hopelessness and and confusion and yep. um, and certainly selfishness and ego is is mm-hmm. is gratitude and really genuinely finding things to be thankful for. Mm-hmm. Well, and and you you point out something that's really I think it really important. And, and I think that, that it's gratitude that's rooted in scripture. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, you, you said what you have in Jesus. And I think that when I always, I always come back to Ephesians. So, you know, again, to answer, to keep it in, in context of what we're talking about this as a new Christian, mm-hmm. what should you do? Well, one is recognize you're going to do battle against Satan. You're going to do battle with these demons. You're going to do battle with discouragement and you're going to have hopelessness. And what do you do in those moments where you keep coming back to the deep well of Scripture and and keep coming back to that and keep coming back to that? And the Psalms are amazing for that uh, because the Psalms deal with the entire scope of the human condition, the the entire scope of our emotions. Uh, Ephesians is one of those books where Paul wants Christians to know what they have in Jesus. And I will contrast that, that gratitude that comes from Scripture with a gratitude that I think the secular world tends to point us to, mm-hmm. that, that sometimes I think we're tempted to, to, you know, grab onto. Not that it's bad, but it's that it's the best the secular world can do. And sure. the best the secular world can do is gratitude by comparison or gratitude oh, sure. by sort of counting counting their stuff. You know what I mean? Right. Well, they say count their blessings, but what they really mean is count their stuff, you know, and, and right. looking at the stuff that they have. And I really like the saying, comparison is the thief of joy, mm-hmm. that, that when we compare ourselves with each other, and I, I've, I've really thought about that a lot. I don't want to get stuck on this because we need to come back and have a podcast just on this idea, that, that I've really thought about this a lot, that that we tend to we tend to gr- gravitate towards uh, comparisons a lot, and 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 try to to use that as our as our source of of joy or gratitude or whatever. Whereas Scripture keeps pointing us back to what we have in Jesus, because like you said, it could always be worse, but but for the person. For whom it it's is worse. There's one know, person. There is one person, and yeah, he he has literally the worst situation in the world. You know what do we tell him to do? It's like, right. well, look at, well, no, don't look at him, and look at no, no, don't look at him. You know, and so, so, but, but in Jesus, no matter how bad our situation is, mm-hmm. we can always go back to the blessings that we have in Christ and and the the future and the hope that we have in Christ. But I love that. And I think you're right. I think that gratitude is maybe in and of itself a spiritual discipline, I think but gratitude is. that is rooted in Scripture. So mm-hmm. that's my first one is for people to keep coming back to Scripture, keep coming back to Scripture. And I love that idea of tying it to, to gratitude. The second one that I would say is a spiritual discipline that's necessary, especially for new Christians to think about, and that's identifying and confessing sin. Mm. I think sometimes we talk about confessing sin, but we don't necessarily think about identifying sin. Um, and, and that's maybe not as natural as it seems. Jesus talks about taking the log out of our eye before we take the speck out of someone else's. Um, sometimes the sin in our life is really evasive and we don't even realize that we're doing it. We don't even realize that it's a sin. And so we have to really sometimes go hunting for it, go hunting for help me, Father, help me find what is amiss in my life. Reveal to me my shortcomings. Reveal to me both the sins that are we say omission and commission, which are commission sins are things that we're doing we shouldn't be doing, but omission are the things we should be doing and we're not. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we don't even realize that we're doing that. Sometimes we don't realize, wow, I'm really, I'm really not, I'm not helping these people. I'm not blessing these people. I'm not serving these people. I'm not, you know, whatever. I'm overlooking these people. Jesus tells the the parable about the the rich man and Lazarus, or some people would say it's not a parable, but Jesus tells the story about the rich man and Lazarus. Maybe the rich man doesn't even know that he doesn't realize that he's sinning by leaving a poor beggar at his gate who just wants a crumb of food while he is indulging himself. And again, we live in a self-indulgent world. And he his his big sin is that he is 
he is neglecting the poor person at his gate. Um, and if we're not really super intentional about seeking out those sins in our life, then it's really easy to just be comfortable and allow those things to exist and we, we don't address them. Yeah. And not, not to get too heady, but to add on to that, I also think, um, identifying what the sin really is. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you can go, yeah, I know that that's not right what I'm doing or I'm yeah. not doing the right thing here. Um, I don't know how many times I've, with a little bit of digging and prayer and God working on my heart, it's eventually come to me that the real sin was not the surface level thing that was yeah. hurtful or wrong, yeah. or but it was it was coming from a place of pride. Yeah. <laughs> it goes back to pride a lot. Oh, yes, <laughs> yes, Maybe yes, always yes. goes back to pride. Um, the sin behind the sin. Yeah. So I, I and I think that's where you when when you start doing that when you start getting intentional about mm. that. I know that's. That's where I actually start to feel uh, and experience God's uh, God's work on me, yeah. where He gets to the heart of it, not not just you know addressing the symptoms, but actually mm-hmm. starting with a disease. Yeah. yeah. Well, and isn't it? You know, it's interesting how how that process of identifying and confessing and repenting of sin seems painful because it it changes our life, it turns our world upside down. Right. But at the same time, it depends on what our goal is. If our goal is to just be comfortable and to just keep right. carrying on as we are, then I suppose it's painful to, to find those things. But if our desire really is to be pleasing to God, then it's actually exciting to find things, oh, I didn't even know I was doing that. Imagine how much better my life is going to be now, now that I've identified it and, and I'm getting rid of it. I always say, I don't know, specifically talking about medical diagnoses when I say this, but, but a diagnosis is always a good thing. Like it doesn't seem like a good thing, but it's always a good thing because if it, if you're diagnosed with some disease, that disease existed in you before the diagnosis, the diagnosis isn't the bad thing. The disease is the bad thing. The diagnosis is a good thing because now you're aware of it. And now that you're aware of it, now you can hopefully begin to deal with it. So the diagnosis of sin in our life is not a bad thing. What was the bad thing was that I was doing it all along and was unaware of that, that sin in my life. And so we should, we should long for sin to be identified in us. Now, it's one thing for us to self-identify sin. What tends to be the thing, going back to the pride idea, what tends to be the most painful is when someone else calls out the sin in our life and someone else rebukes us. Proverbs has several different places where uh, the the Proverbs tell us that it's good to be rebuked and that we should love rebuke. We should love discipline. Why? Because it helps us to be better people. And so if somebody calls out a sin that is obviously not every not everybody that calls us a sinner, not everybody that rebukes us is actually telling the truth. They're not always accurate in their diagnosis. But if they accurately recognize sin in us and they tell us, hey, Wes, you're doing this and this is wrong and sinful, and I look at it and I'm like, you're right, I shouldn't be doing that, then what a, what a blessing they've been to you, what a help they've been to you. And so that, that in and of itself, preparing ourselves to receive rebuke, rebuking ourselves, disciplining ourselves, um, those things are incredibly important for anybody who would be a follower of Jesus. I just want to take a short break from our Bible study to tell you that if you are enjoying this discussion, you might also enjoy my book, Beyond the Verse. You can find the audio version of the book at radicallychristian.com slash audible. That's radicallychristian.com slash audible. And if you're not already an Audible subscriber, you can actually get my book for free when you sign up for a free trial. So go to radicallychristian.com slash audible. Now back to the Bible study. Okay, we we only covered a couple of the spiritual disciplines in the first half of this conversation, so hopefully we can cover a few more of them in the second half. Uh, we, we mentioned briefly prayer mm-hmm. um, and fasting. Those are two others that, and, and they, they those should always go together. Yeah. That we're not when we talk about fasting, we're not talking about dieting. <laughs> we're not talking about trying to lose weight or something like that. Uh, but but again, we recognize these in the life of Jesus, mm-hmm. and I, I've often stopped and thought. If Jesus needed prayer and fasting, who am I to think, ah, I don't need to, I don't need to fast. I'm, I'm good. You know, it's like, well, if the son of God who was filled with the Holy Spirit and who, who 
acted and, and lived with this authority and the blessing of God on him, like if he needed to pray and fast, how much more so do I need to pray and fast? And and I, I think that we we discount the value of this uh, more than more than we should. Any thoughts on either prayer or fasting or both? Yeah, I think, well, definitely hand in hand. Um, I think I noticed something recently because I, uh, I, I started fasting as a weight loss, purely as a mm-hmm. weight loss uh, goal. Um, but one of the things I've experienced, and I think there's, there's, I've always, since I started doing it, I've been interested in the science behind it and, mm-hmm. and what's happening when you fast physically. And uh, But one of the things I've experienced is the longer I get into a fast, there's this kind of point where it gets it gets really difficult and maybe I get a little I get in a bad mood mm-hmm. I get a little testy mm-hmm. <laughs> but then there's a point beyond that where I start like the 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 hunger that you experience and this is where it's like I've sort of I felt like I stumbled upon spiritual benefits mm-hmm. even though I was mm-hmm. doing it yeah, sure, for a different sure. reason and that was the the hunger sort of made all of my other problems fade into the background mm. because all of a sudden there was there's only there's only one thing wrong. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there was only one thing that was that was difficult. Yeah. Everything else that was that might annoy me or frustrate me or worry me uh, did does sort of start to fade into the background. Mm. And again, this is pu- purely from a you know from from doing it from the physical side, but it was a sort of stumbling upon this uh, this benefit yeah. that I noticed that I, I think we're built to do it. Yeah. Like I think the reason it pops up in scripture is not just from a it's interesting to me that it might, it's not just from a spiritual uh, aspect but also to a physical level like it it the, the reflection it forces you into yeah. just because of what you're what you're going through because yeah. you're, you're not eating as much as you usually do um, I think is is something that I've been really interested in and it, and it certainly encouraged me to, to start incorporating it as a spiritual practice um, because and to, to again to tie it to prayer mm-hmm. um, I think fasting and prayer are both about sort of emptying yourself mm-hmm. one literally and the other spiritually and mentally yeah. and and that ability that we have in Christ with the veil torn mm-hmm. to lean on God mm-hmm. um, is is definitely something that we yeah. shouldn't take for granted. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that there's something to be said for, again, we live in a self-indulgent mm-hmm. world and, and we're told that the more we indulge ourselves, the more, the, the more we fulfill our desires, the more authentic we are or the more real we are, the more in touch with our true self we are. And scripture presents just the opposite, exactly the opposite, that it's through self-denial that we actually are in touch with God and that yeah. that we have to we have to, as you said, empty ourselves, deny ourselves, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And and when Jesus did that, he actually it's interesting when you read when you read the the account of Jesus in the wilderness, he fasted for 40 days. And there, there's a parallel between the the 40 days of Israel in the wilderness and the 40 day, the 40 years of Israel in the wilderness and the 40 days of Jesus in the wilderness. And they both were tempted by Satan. The the first Israel failed the test. The second Israel, Jesus, passed the test. He was he is the true son of God who is faithful to his father and who resists the lies of of the devil. But it's because he's filled with the Holy Spirit and it's because he is relying on the Holy Spirit. He's trusting in God. Uh, he doesn't he doesn't trust in food. He doesn't live by bread alone. He lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And and Jesus is actually stronger. I used to think that that Jesus that Satan hit Jesus when he was weak. He's weak in the wilderness because he's he's just been praying and fasting for 40 days. Actually, that's when he's strong. Like he right. he's incredibly strong because he has been praying and fasting for 40 days. And so Satan comes and tempts him. Actually, when he's at maybe his strongest, Jesus is always strong, but he resists Satan because of the strength that he has not in the flesh, but the strength that he has in the spirit. And and fasting helps teach our bodies that that 
our strength comes not by bread alone. Our strength comes from every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, and and it teaches us to prioritize the the word of God over the bread alone. It teaches us to prioritize the strength that the Spirit gives over the the strength of the body. And though even though our body may feel weak, we are we are being renewed in the Spirit day by day. All of these things, uh, I think, fasting helps remind us remind us about. What would you say about prayer in terms of, I guess what I want to ask is, how do you think we get prayer wrong? Mm. Um, what would be your advice for somebody great um, hoping to enrich their prayer life? I think we've tended, especially maybe in Churches of Christ, again, I don't know what other groups may or may not do, but I know that we have moved away from liturgical things. Mm. And, and we've moved more towards, um, uh, what, what do you call it? impromptu or um, um, things that, that aren't written out. We don't like things that are written out or wrote. Um, and so we, we, we've moved more towards things that are improvised. And we, we tend to put more weight on improvised prayers where I think there's a lot of value. There's an entire book of the Bible called the Psalms that are written prayers and praise and songs. And we, we have song books. We used to use them in churches all the time. We, now we put them on the screen. But we don't, we don't have impromptu songs. We don't right. say, hey, get up here and, and just have an impromptu song off the, off the top of your head, just, just from your heart, sing from your heart, and just come up with the words as you go. We would never do that. Instead, we have these songs that create tracks on which to run. And and so I would encourage people to pray scripture, yeah. pray the Psalms, pray the Lord's Prayer, pray these prayers because they actually help to connect with God because they teach us what we ought to be praying for. They 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 give us a way to express our emotion, express our desires but also to reshape our desires. We don't, Paul says in Romans, we don't even know what to pray for. The Spirit intercedes for us. And if we could acknowledge that, I don't know what to pray for. All I know is that I'm angry. All I know is that I'm frustrated. All I know is that I feel hopeless. Well, I guarantee you there's a psalm for that. So learn to pray the psalms. Learn to pray scripture. Even I mean, again, I keep coming back to Ephesians, but there are, I think, three prayers in Ephesians that Paul prays for the church. Pray those prayers. You might have to reword it a little bit to word it as a prayer from yourself, but reword scripture and pray scripture back to God because God is teaching us how to pray. He's teaching us what to long for. He's teaching us what to hope for and expect. And and he knows better than we do what to pray. Yeah, I think that is something I've been encouraged by with traditions in Christianity that place more of an emphasis on mm-hmm. the sacraments and, sure. and to in taking part in the sacred. Mm-hmm. And I think you, you have, that's absolutely what you get when you, uh, what you're a part of when you, when you pray scripture, when mm-hmm. you read a Psalm yeah. is, is you're taking part in something that is spiritually sacred. Sure. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that's a great and, encouragement. And that's to not us. to say that we can't, you know, repeat things out of rote repetition and and not mean it. When I was a kid, I used to always say, please bless this food we're about to eat. And one time I said that in Bible class, we were not about to eat food. I just was in the habit of saying, please bless this food that that I'm about to eat. And my teacher, my Bible class teacher scolded me, stopped me from saying prayers for a long time, but uh, that's a whole nother story. But we, we do have to be careful with that. But again, if we have this humble attitude that says, Scripture knows better how to pray than I do off the top of my head. That's not to say that we shouldn't also have impromptu prayers or that we shouldn't also have improvised prayers where we just pray from the top of our head. We should do that too. It's it's not they're not mutually exclusive. We right. can do both. And I think we should do both. But that would be my encouragement is let scripture teach you how to pray. Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. And for 2000 years people have been praying the Lord's Prayer. And some people argue, well, he didn't mean for that to be a rote prayer. Okay, maybe not, but but we could do a lot worse than <laughs> praying what Jesus said. Yeah. Pray this way. And so yeah, pray this way. Yeah. yeah. You can add to it. You I mean you can you could say uh these these words that Jesus gave us and and then 
put continue in there your in own spirit. words. Yeah. What's that? Continue on in that spirit. Absolutely. I've heard people do that exactly. a lot where they, they, they use the prayer as a starting point. Absolutely. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Uh, so prayer and fasting, another one would be silence and solitude. Uh, we see Jesus doing that. Mark 1, 35, rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Um, again, if Jesus needed to spend time in, in silence and solitude, if he needed to go to a desolate place and pray, what makes me think that I don't need to? Or especially in our busy, loud world, what makes me think that I can have the spiritual life that I need to have when I'm bombarded with messages from the world, messages that aren't true, messages that are whatever, and I'm just bombarded with information and entertainment and ideas constantly. If Jesus needed to remove himself from the noise, man, I need to remove, remove, remove myself even more. That was funny. A friend of ours and I were just having a conversation about this that uh, a friend encouraged him recently he was sort of talking about, you know, you know, attending to responsibilities and staying involved and, 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 you know, not, uh, but, but it was, it was starting to build up and, and create a little burnout. His friend said, you know, Jesus needed to go away. Yeah. Are you better? That's right. Are you better That's than right. him? That's right. So I think that, that is, that's definitely something, you know, that, that idea of burnout, I think is something our culture talks a lot yeah. about. Um, but I do think that that is something we see over and over again in the Gospels that Jesus, you know, kind of disappears. It's yeah. seeming the way it's yeah. written. Sometimes yeah. it's like sometimes they were looking for him. Yeah, they're yeah. looking for him. He's just, he's just gone. He's yeah. out, you know, on the other side of the sea. Yes. Yeah. And so I think, yeah, doing that responsibly mm-hmm. and and knowing when it's time to take a break. Yep. That's hard to do, but right. I think it's really well, and, and that really goes to the idea that that God worked into the week rhythms of rest. Mm-hmm. The, the Sabbath rest was yeah. part of the weekly rhythm. It was also part of the every seven years it was supposed to be, and it was also supposed to be part of the every seven, seven years. And so they were supposed to have these rhythms of rest and rejuvenation, this, this idea, because it is a lie that we tell ourselves that if I stop doing the world will come crashing down. Yeah. If I start stop going, if I stop working, if I stop toiling, then everything is going to come crashing down. And I need, it's a discipline for me to rest and to say it does not all rely on me. God is going to keep the world spinning even when I rest. Even on the Sabbath, God, on if I, if I rest, God is still working. God is still operating. God is still in control, which means I need to work trusting God, but I also need to rest trusting God. Well, I think that kind of unlocks the, I was thinking of the two, the two big moments we get about the Sabbath mm. in the commandments. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Fast forward to Jesus telling the Pharisees, the Sabbath was not made for God, but for man. Yeah, we weren't, man wasn't made or for the Sabbath, was, but yeah, that's the right. Sabbath was made for man. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. So it's, you're... It's it's not that you're keeping the Sabbath holy for yourself. It's that God gave you the Sabbath, yeah. and you're to honor it because to in order to trust Him, yeah. that the world will keep spinning, that yes. He will keep going. It's a blessing. Yes, it's a blessing. And they made the the Sabbath a burden. It was yeah. supposed to be a blessing, but they were making it burdensome yeah. to keep the Sabbath. And Jesus is saying, it, it, "You weren't made." For the Sabbath, the Sabbath was made for you. Yeah. What a what an amazing gift this God is that gave His people a day of rest. This was this was unique in the ancient world right. that that God gave these people, just ordinary people, these former slaves, these refugees from Egypt that that escaped out of slavery. And God's like, hey, one day a week, it's yours. You know, take it, worship me, keep it holy, and rest. Don't work. He wasn't real specific about the rules. Just, just keep it holy. Keep it se- se- separate. Keep, keep it sacred, and and rest. And what an amazing blessing! But then, as man does, they corrupted it and right. and made it more of a burden than it was supposed to be. And so, again, we could get really legalistic about about when and how all of these things. But we've got to build into our lives rhythms of of rest, of silence, solitude. I've begun to. I took a while where it was just Facebook and I was like 
no Facebook on Saturdays. Um, and now it's more like no, as much as I, I need to do a better job at this, but no smartphone on Saturdays. Mm. It's really hard to say no phone because I still need to be reachable. I sure. still need to use the GPS to go places. But I, I'm trying to use the tools that are built into my iPhone to turn off everything, to use uh, time limits and downtime, the the little yeah. focus. I, in fact, I have a, a focus on my phone. Now you can set it up with a preset focus, a customized focus, and I yeah. have a Sabbath focus. And so on Saturday, the beginning of Saturday, it turns on, and then at the end of Saturday, it turns off. But it, it shuts off pretty much everything. My watch face on my smartwatch, it changes. The, the background on my phone changes. It doesn't send me notifications on Saturday. So I'm trying really hard to discipline yeah. myself to build that silence. And again, it's not total silence. I'm not, you know, I can't spend the whole, I'm not going to spend the whole day away from my family um, or the way from everything else. I, I've, we've tried to do like a family Sabbath on Saturdays. It's really hard. You know, yeah. it's really hard in our, in our world today to do that kind of thing, but we've got to find ways to spend time with God, to be quiet, to unplug from all the noise and all the world and, and just be silent and be in solitude as much as we can. Um, the sixth one is giving and serving. Um, I, I, this is, this is obviously a, a spiritual discipline. Again, the idea is that as we give and serve, as we do for others, as we, as we consider others more significant than ourselves, Philippians two, and we look out for their interest and not only our own interest, we are becoming like Jesus. We are practicing the gospel. I, I thought of a phrase the other day, and it goes back to the very beginning of this podcast. The, our original co-hosts to this podcast, Sam Dominguez, used to always say that God or Jesus called us to be disciples, not philosophers. Another way to put that might be that, that he called us to be practitioners and not, and not philosophers. That, that the way of Jesus is, is something we practice. It's not just something we think about. It's not an idea. This isn't an ideology. This is a practice. This is something that we're practicing. And so there, there's very tangible things that we can do. And when we do them with the, the mental intention of putting others and considering others more significant than ourselves and doing for them what Jesus did for us, then we are actually being shaped into the image of Jesus by laying down our lives for others, by seeking the good of others, by considering others more significant than ourselves. So giving and serving becomes a very important part of spiritual disciplines. I really recently heard some advice on that, that because it's, it's one of those things we all know we should do and then we don't do it mm -hmm. maybe. Um, but the advice I heard recently on that, that I'm going to try to incorporate more and more is praying ahead of certain situations mm. and, um, you know, certain events or, or, or new things that you're doing or, or routine things that you're doing, but to pray ahead of time, mm. God, you know, would, would you present opportunities for yeah. me and yeah. help me to see them, yeah. uh, to, to give and to serve. Yeah. Um, and I, and I thought that was a, having experienced so many benefits from being intentional about prayer mm -hmm. uh, and experiencing the grace of God that if you pray, watch out. He, yeah, yeah, watch out. Yeah. And, but he's listening. Yeah. Like it's, it's not, you're not just speaking to the sky. Yeah. You're speaking to God. You're speaking to uh, your God that loves you yeah. and, and wants the best for you. And I yeah. think if you're praying, would you present opportunities for me to give and serve? Yeah. Oh, he's going to answer They're that. They're going to be there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So that's, that's something yeah. I'm looking forward to, absolutely. to being more intentional about. I love the, I love the, the, the story about the community that was looking for rain and they, they, they had a prayer meeting for, for rain and they all showed up at this, you know, farmer Jones's farm and they were going to pray for rain. And the preacher got up and looked around and he asked and admonished everybody asking them, where's your umbrellas? You know, I mean, that's, that's the thing, you know, we, we should pray and look yeah. for God to, to open doors and, but so often it's, we're not praying. We're not asking. We're praying not. Praying is kind of a last resort as asking, opposed to the exactly. first one yeah. of defense. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And then, and then finally, number seven on my list is, is gathering. We don't normally see this on a list of spiritual disciplines, but I think it needs to be included gathering. And when I say gathering, I, I mean more than just come to church, you know, right. come to the Sunday assembly. I mean, 
be part of the church. Mm. It's so important. It goes back to what we started with. When when you become a Christian, be with other people. Mm. <laughs> we are made for community. The word church, the, the Greek word is ekklesia. And, and a lot of people put a lot of emphasis on what, what might be the etymology of that, the Greek word ekklesia. And they say, well, it means called out, called out people. And their emphasis there is that we're separated. We're called out of the world and we're a separate people. That's not how the Greek word was used in the first century. It wasn't used to say, hey, you're a separate group of people. That's not how the word was used. That might be the etymology of it. But again, catfish doesn't mean a fish that is a cat. Or Well, it kind of does actually mean it doesn't mean a cat that can fish or a, a house fly doesn't mean a flying house. You know, you can't just take the two parts of a word and say, well, it, it's this. So what's, it, what's important is how the word was used. Ecclesia meant an assembly of people. Specifically, it was about a community assembly, a community that came together to, to talk about the business of the, of the community, of the, of the city. And so when Jesus says that we are his ecclesia, we are his gathered people. We are his community of people that have come together in the name of Jesus. We are his his city. We are his kingdom. We are his citizens. And so, yes, it's true. We're, we're called out. Yes, it's true. We're separated from the world. But that's not the emphasis of the word ecclesia. The emphasis of the word ecclesia is gathering, coming together. And when when the Hebrew writer encourages the, his audience not to fall away, he admonishes them to not forsake the, the coming together, the assembling. There, it's like the synagoguing of yourselves. Right. Coming together into these messianic synagogues, encouraging one another, building one another up. This is from Hebrews 10. So he's encouraging them to keep coming together. That's what the church does. The church sticks together. Yes, on Sundays, but daily. We, mm. we should be together as much as we can. So if you're a new Christian, be together with your brothers and sisters. Be together with them for, for breakfast, for lunch, for supper, for devotionals, for Bible studies, for encouragement, for confessing your sins. Just be with your brothers and sisters as much as you possibly can. Make time. Be intentional about gathering together with them and, and for them. Gather together to encourage them and to build them up. Yeah, we can't do it alone. Yeah, right. That's exactly right. We we live in a hyper individualistic culture that that even in Christianity we we act like spiritual disciplines are a solo lone ranger kind of thing. And you're right, we can't do it alone. Thank you so much for being part of the Radically Christian Bible Study Podcast today. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode. I want to give a special thanks to Travis Polly and to our McDermott Road Church family for making this podcast possible. As always, we love you, God loves you, and we hope that you have a wonderful day.